0: Well, it was good to hear them again. It's been about uh, seven months, I guess, since the choir sang. And uh, thank you. Good job. Good job. Good music this morning, Brother Dale. And uh, you think about all of the things we were singing about. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. And when I think about the words to that old hymn, I think about what we have sung about this morning, most of the world doesn't know. In fact, there are billions of people who have never heard. Do you realize how precious it is to have the opportunity to take the gospel for granted? Most of the world doesn't even get that opportunity, but we have that here this is the most evangelized nation on the face of the earth. And there are scores of believers, congregations like ours that are singing the glories of Christ and preaching the truth of the word of God. So with all the other things that are going on, don't ever forget what God is doing and what we do have. And we certainly praise the Lord for that. I am thinking today as we get ready to turn to Exodus 25, we're going to look at another piece of the tabernacle furniture, the menorah. I think it's in the King James Version. It calls it candlestick. That's not a good translation. It's actually a lamp. There's no candle to it. And uh, in this, well, we'll talk about it a little bit later on, how it worked and how it was set up and why they uh, needed it but it makes me think about how the Bible has so many metaphors about light and about darkness. And I think it's pretty clear as we think about our nation and the needs of our nation and our people, it's actually the people in the country, they need light and not the inner light, not some new age light or anything like that, not an angel of light that preaches some kind of a false gospel, they need the light Of the world which is Jesus and they need to uh, trust him as Savior and Lord you know you can only describe a nation like us who now we quibble over genders no longer are there just two there's like 85 of them all you can say about that is boy things have gotten dark when you look at the violence that's going on in our land and in our cities, that doesn't take place as light and joy and happiness and celebration. Something's wrong. Even when we celebrate, when a team wins a national championship or a a league championship or something, what happens? Violence a lot of times breaks out. Boy, if you're happy, you got a funny way of showing it. You start thinking about the Rates of gloom and doom and depression. In spite of everything that we have and everything that we enjoy and the luxuries of life that we enjoy. I mean, we live better than King Solomon did by far. We have more variety of foods and excess of foods. We have air conditioning and heating when we need it. Think about the way a chariot might ride and think about the way your clunker drives you're still way ahead, even driving an old clunker, than anything Solomon could ever imagine. We look at all of that, and yet people are dissatisfied, they're discontent, they're angry, they're depressed, they're discouraged, and poll after poll after poll after poll shows that the majority of Americans think we're on the wrong track. And yet nobody wants to change. We point our fingers, the black people need to change, the white people need to change. The rich people need to change. The poor people need to change. It's always somebody else. And we play identity politics and we blame everybody else when, as the old spiritual says, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And we need to be uh, where we look in the mirror and say, I've met the enemy Right here, I'm the problem. And we need the grace of God. We need the light of Jesus Christ. To illustrate this, Ligonier Ministries, that's R.C. Sproul, they do a thing every year called the State of Theology in America. And uh, this is where they survey church going people, okay, not the pagans, not the drug addicts. Not the prostitutes, not anything like that. Church-going people like us. 69% of evangelicals disagree that the smallest sin deserves eternal condemnation. 69%. You know what that tells me? The majority of people that go to church, they say, hell is made for Hitler. Hell is made for Stalin. Hell is made for the people I don't like, but it's not for me, because my sin's not that bad, because they would all minimize their sin and maximize the sin of others. In fact, 58% strongly disagree with the fact that sin will send any sin will send you to hell. 58% church going evangelical type people strongly disagree. With that statement, that is a complete denial of the doctrine of total depravity of humanity. That's alarming. A majority of adults in evangelical churches said that worshiping at home or worshiping alone, pardon me, or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Only 30% disagreed. It was 58% that basically said, we don't need the church that Jesus loves and gave his life for. We don't need the church, as Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, this is where we gather to love and to provoke one another to good deeds. And that's why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's because we are to consider others If you put those two verses together. But. Let me look here. 58% of church going evangelicals thought. It doesn't matter. Whatever you do is fine. Ready for this? A majority of adults in evangelical churches. 59% say that the Holy Spirit is a force not a personal being. 52% say most people are basically good. These are church people, folks. 52% say that people are basically good. No wonder we're not witnessing. No wonder we're not ambassadors for Christ. We don't think that our neighbor and other people like that need it because, well, they're good people. He's a good man. I uh, heard a guy one time, a Southern Baptist preacher, give an invitation and say, some of you men in the back need to trust Jesus. You're good men, but you'd be a little better if you'd trust Jesus. That's heresy. That's heresy. How about this one? God accepts the worship of all religions. What do you think they said on that? 51% said that's true. No wonder we're not evangelizing. No wonder we're not passionate about Jesus. We don't really believe that Jesus is the only way. We are undermining him and his plan and his gospel and we are trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ, aren't we? Jesus was the first and greatest being created, created by God the Father. 78% believe that Jesus is a creation of God the Father. They need to read John 1.1. That's Jehovah's Witness doctrine, by the way. So, when you look at those kind of things, just those few statistics, it's dark out there, folks. It's dark. And somebody... Needs to turn on and turn up the light. And it's interesting as we come to this point in Exodus. Let's go ahead and look at Exodus 25. And we'll read 31 through 39. God says in my tabernacle I want an ark. Because sacrifice is supreme. Blood has to be shed for sin. I want a table. And I want you to put the showbread on it. Because fellowship is a result of sacrifice. And then the Lord says, and then I want you to put a lamp, a menorah. I want light to be there. I want the priests to be able to see where they're going, what they're eating, what they're doing. And I want it also to represent something that is very, very, very important as all of these furnishings do. Exodus 25, 31. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold, now the lampstand shall be of hammered or beaten work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand Out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms. On one branch. With an ornamental knob and a flower. And three bowls. Made like almond blossoms. On the other branch. With an ornamental knob and a flower. And so. For the six branches that come out of the lampstand. On the lampstand itself. Four bowls. Shall be made like an almond blossom, each with its ornamental knob and flowers. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Now, their knobs. And their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it. And they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Okay, here you are. Moses comes down and tells you all of this. And you go, wow, sounds fascinating. And he said, you're the one That is to make it. You're the craftsman. And he gives you a block of gold. And he says, now make that. Look at the screen. Make that out of one piece. No molds. You don't melt it and pour it into a mold. You take a hammer and you beat it. And 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 and you shape it until you get that menorah. How would you like that job? What would it look like if you did it? (laughs) That'd be frightening, wouldn't it? This is what they made. And so, as I look at these things that are mentioned here in this text, there are some symbolisms I'd like to point out to you. First of all, when we think about the gold lampstand itself... The gold, we've already seen through the other pieces of the furnishing, it represents the glory and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it any accident that when God said, make this, beat it? And we think about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes Him so beautiful today. There's a hymn, I think it's Crown Hymn with Many Crowns, says uh, that... Those wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. You're going to see the wounds of Christ, except in heaven they're not going to be ghastly or gory. They're not going to make you go, Oh my, what happened to you? We do that when we see a horrific scar on somebody. But you're going to look at that and you're going to think of the cross and the scars of Christ as being the most beautiful things that you have ever seen. And this refined gold, this pure gold, uh, took some time. It took thought. It took planning. And it took a lot of work to put this together. God said, this is the way that I want it. And at the very end of what we read, he said, make sure you do it not your way, but my way. Not the way you think would be best. Not the way you think would be the easiest. So many times as Christians, we want to do shortcuts. We want to do the things that cost us nothing or cost us very little. We want to be able to give without it affecting our bank balance. We want to be able to serve without it taking up any of our time. We want to help and encourage as long as we don't really have to get involved with somebody else. God said, no, not on this. Craftsmen, take it. Take the gold and take the hammer and beat it out until it is beautiful, until it shines That's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about the symbolism that is here, um, think about the almonds. What in the world could an almond possibly mean? Some of you are thinking, well, I mean, I'd be for it if it's an almond joy or something like that. But uh, no, it's not that. Do you remember uh, Moses' brother? Anybody remember Moses' brother's name? Aaron, yeah, the first high priest. And Aaron had a staff like Moses. You know what a staff really is? It's a dead piece of wood. No life in it at all. But in the book of Numbers, something miraculous happened to Aaron's rod. You remember what happened to that dead piece of wood? Life began to blossom. Bear fruit. The almond here symbolizes life that comes out of death. It's a symbol of resurrection. It's a symbol of being born again. It's a symbol of you and me, uh, not only uh, of the resurrection of Christ, but we, being raised with Christ, we now have new life. Hey, this dead piece of wood has blossomed. Why? Not because of anything in the dead piece of wood, but because of the power of God and because of the grace of God. When you think about the oil, oil is over and over in the, Bible a reference to the Holy Spirit of God and in those bowls on the top of the menorah they didn't have wax and a wick and anything like we would think of they had oil and a floating wick and the oil is the Holy Spirit because it's through the sacrifice of Christ and through the new life that he has that when he ascended to the Father he sent us the Holy Spirit and what would be the symbolism of the wick? Well, you have to wait on that. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. When we think about the uh, metaphor of darkness, just a few things I want to say in um, introduction here before we get to any points. Because the Bible tells us, for example, that the world lies in darkness. In John chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. That's the best place for light to shine. That's why they don't do fireworks on the 4th of July at 10 in the morning. They make you wait until the night comes. That's why there are times maybe when you put up Christmas lights on your house. I wonder if they're all working. Well, you wait until the the light fades. And then you can see. You try to do it in the daytime. It's very difficult to see that. If you light a match right now in this building, you wouldn't get much attention. You light it when all the doors are closed and the lights are out. You'd get a lot of attention. Light is made to shine in darkness. And John 1, 5 says, The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Why? Because light always overcomes darkness. And this is a dark, dark world in which we live. The Bible says that we were in darkness. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Out of the darkness, into the light. Out of the devil's kingdom and into God's own kingdom. That's what Christ has done for us because we were just as dark as the worst sinner you can think of right now. We were just as darkened. Our minds were darkened. We were futile in our thinking. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Which is why we ought to look at this world not with disgust and not with disdain, but with compassion. Every time you hear about something in the news, every time you see something that kind of turns your stomach, the Holy Spirit would rather you do something else to look and see they're trapped, they're dead, What do you expect dead men to act like? What do you expect lost people to act like? And uh, just as uh, someone who dies, their corpse may look pretty good when they first die, if they were in good shape. But let a few days go by. Let a few weeks go by, and what happens? The decay gets worse and worse. They're just as dead as they were five minutes after they died when the body still feels warm. But after time, that deadness and that decay gets worse and worse. Folks, that's a metaphor for the world that we're living in. It's not getting better and better. Sin is not getting better and better. I mean, good night. How many thousands of years have uh, sinners and the enemy had to come up with new sins, with worse sins, more depraved, and more ungodly, and more disgusting? And yet the Bible tells us that's exactly where we were. And if God could save me, he can save anybody. And if God could save me and save you, then we ought to be the ones that are the most compassionate and understanding toward lost people because the only hope they have is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are the ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no darkness in God. 1 John Poor, wonderful book. 1 John chapter 1, 5, and 6. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's why I believe there's so many unsaved church members. People that claim to be walking in the light, knowing Christ, and yet they live in, And they walk in darkness. The Bible says. Not not me. The Bible says that you are a liar. Let that sink in. You know how I know that? It's what I did for so many years. I was a lost church member. And so there's no darkness in God. Here's something else. This ought to bless you. As dark as it is out there. God is unaffected. By the darkness. It doesn't change him. It doesn't slow him down. It is no problem for him. Because light. And then God is light. It always overcomes the darkness. In Psalm 139 verse 12. Even the darkness. Is not dark to you. The light. Is as bright as the day. For darkness. Is as light. With you. Now, that's a comforting thing. I'm in a dark world and God sees me and God lightens my path. Praise God for that. It's also terrifying. When I stray, I don't ever get away from God. When I hide, when I'm in the darkness and I think no one is watching, God sees everything as if it were the noonday sun. That ought to get our attention. That ought to make us think. God is not affected by the darkness because it is not dark to Him. He sees everything. The motive of hearts, what is going on, what is happening. He sees what is not happening that should be happening. I mean, God sees it all. Then um, we move on to talk about lighting this menorah. Why would God put a menorah on the south end of the tabernacle, in there with the table of the showbread and all of that, what was he wanting to do? Well, consider this. First of all, there is light, light to glorify Jesus, that beaten gold. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, when the menorah was lit in that tabernacle, there were times when the priests would go in there and it might be dark. Times when the sun wasn't shining, maybe in the night. And you don't want to walk into a tent with all of those things that are in there to do the rituals that you're supposed to do and wonder, what am I touching? What am I picking up? Oops, I didn't mean to knock that over. How does that happen? Well, God said, let me light a light for you. And so the light would be in there so that they could do that. But it did more than that. See, in the darkness, you couldn't really tell much about that lampstand. But when the lights were lit, you saw the beauty of the beaten gold. You saw the shininess Of the pure refined gold that had been beaten into the menorah. You saw the fineness of the craftsmanship. You saw all of that that you wouldn't see in the darkness. And if that is a picture of Christ. Which I believe it is. Then it means that the light that was shining from the lampstand. Was meant to spotlight the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Which is why we are here. And the light shines that others might see Jesus and that he might be worshiped, that he might be adored and admired. And when the menorah was lit, the gold, the gold that was there could really, really shine. Secondly, there was light for guidance. Moses was told, now you tell the people that do this, you do it according to what I have said. In other words, do it according to the word of God. Made me think of Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, the lights that they would carry even as they walked, they were vessels that had oil in them and then the floating wick, and then they would light that wick and they would carry it. So you had to be kind of careful and slow when you walked, different than the oil lamps your great-grandma had. Uh, these are a little bit different, kind of a bowl type thing that they would carry and it would light their way. It wouldn't put out a whole lot of light, enough light for another step. And sometimes God's word, as it lights our way, it doesn't put a spotlight on 10 years in the future, shines so that you have enough to take another step without going off a cliff. And every time you move forward, there's light for another step. And some of you that are thinking, my life's over, I don't know what to do, nobody understands me, I'm all alone. Let me tell you, you go to God's word, and you may not find every answer you want. You may not find every answer that you're looking for. But I'll tell you this, there's enough for another step. Live to fight another day, in other words. Take another step and keep walking for the Lord. He gives direction for everything that he wants to do. And so when the priest entered the tabernacle, the light of the menorah kept them from stumbling or knocking something over. And remember we saw last week, who are the priests? We are. We're a royal priesthood, Peter says. A holy generation. And so we are the ones that God gives light to. Not, Not to everybody out there. They don't see it. They don't like it. They don't want it. But for us, it's precious. The light shines that we might be able to Know what we're doing and what it is that God has called us to do. Thirdly, there is light for communion or fellowship with God. John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 5-7 says, This is a message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. So there's the metaphor of the light. And in him is no darkness at all. We've already talked about that. Now, what is it that we're supposed to do? Well, if we say we have fellowship, communion with God, a relationship with Him, we're speaking with Him, He is working in us, we're rightly related to Him through Christ. If we say we have fellowship or communion with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Can somebody say amen to that? So walk with God, walking with one another, and having the confidence that our sins are cleansed, not by us, not by our rituals, not by our performance, but cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the priest comes in, and he's got his family. And they say, it's time for us, boys and girls, to go to the table of the showbread, And we're going to put new bread down. And then we're going to feast on the old. And remember the feast symbolized communion with Christ. Because he is the bread of life. Can you imagine if they went in there with their little kids. And it was dark. Hold my hand now watch out. Don't touch anything. Look out. And then about the time you're telling your kids not to do something. you run in and knock something over. Can you imagine? But the menorah was there so that when they went in, the light would shine not only on the menorah, not only all around them, but it would shine there on the table and shine there on the bread. And they would come into the tabernacle and they would have fellowship with God. Light produces fellowship for the believer to have communion with God. That's what First John has to say. And then number four, there's also light for relationships. Boy, that's a problem nowadays, isn't there? But if people would just follow the light in all of this, if they would just do things God's way. Well, when we look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him... There is no cause for stumbling. Well, that's exactly right. That's what light does. And notice how the Bible tells us we've been put in a relationship. If you are married, you are put in that relationship by God. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Isn't that what the Bible says? Jesus said that. When the Bible talks about our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ, he's the one that brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into his glorious light so that we could proclaim the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about relationship as we do that. The light shines on to show us where we're wrong. The light shines to guide us into what is right. The light shines so that we can see the need of the other person. The light shines. If you were in darkness and you hear somebody talk, it's kind of like getting a text. I get a text and I look and I go, I don't know if I'm supposed to be insulted or not. And I can take a text wrong in a minute. So can you. But if I could see the person's face, I could see that they were teasing. I could see that maybe they were saying something that was supposed to be helpful. And as awkward as it may be, it may have been unintentionally offensive. But I need to see their face in order for that to happen. Well, light makes it possible for us to discern the motives of those people around us and to understand what we're supposed to do. It's in the light that you're able to give somebody a hug. Hard to find somebody in the darkness. You'd be hugging air, right? And it might hit them in the face or something like that. But light works for relationships. And uh, so those things, as you think about God relating to man and the priests relating to one another, and all of the relationship with the nation of Israel, it's all around the light, and that light is symbolized in the menorah. But I also want to uh, conclude by saying this. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, now that's different. As long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. So the light came into the darkness when Jesus was incarnated, right? And then he ascended to God the Father. What happened to the light? Well, heaven is a place of light. In fact, the Bible tells us there's no need for a lamp there because God himself is the light. Well, we sure could use a little of it down here, Lord. You know, have you just left us to stumble in the darkness? Well, no, not exactly. Because Matthew chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light the lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. That's the way this menorah is, a lampstand, And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father which is in heaven. Let your light shine so that others will glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus did not leave us without light. He put it in us. Somebody said one time, we're like the moon. We just reflect the light of the sun. That's inaccurate. We don't just reflect the light of Jesus. The light of Jesus is actually in us. Through the Holy Spirit. And So when you think about the menorah. It's all centered and held together by Christ. And then the almonds tell us about resurrection. And about the new life (coughs) that we have in Jesus. We're not dead sinners in trespasses and sins. We're alive. The bowls that hold the oil, tell us, we have the power of the Holy Spirit at all times because the wick would burn out if it did not have the oil. The oil is the fuel. That's the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He will never leave you or forsake you, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses, lights for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, then who's the wick? Us. We're the one that the Lord lights, that burns in the power of the Holy Spirit in new life and resurrection for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I'm not real sure about that. Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 5, when he writes to the church at Ephesus... It's a good word for grace way. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's as if God was saying to the church at Ephesus, You believe right? And you do a lot of the right things. You just don't do them out of love for me anymore. Is that a word for us? Is that a word for you? And he said, and if you don't do what I tell you, what did he tell them to do? Remember. That's why God gave you a memory. Remember when you were first saved. Remember how you used to sing. Remember how you used to serve. Remember how you used to give. Remember how you used to worship. Remember the convictions that you had. Or else... I'll come and remove your lampstand. Ever heard lately of the church at Ephesus and what it's doing for the Lord? No, because he did. It's as if God comes up and said, you're useless to me. We are burning for Christ. We're the wick. John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world... And the world loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. They didn't want them exposed. You know what? The Bible says we're not to be like them. We are to be lights shining as lights in a dark world. How well are we doing? Well, you say, I think the church could do more. Well, the church is not an institution. The church is people. People have to do more. Well, the church could be more evangelistic. That means the people in the church, you, have to be more evangelistic. Well, the church could be more open and loving. That's a word to you. All of these things are speaking because as we think about the menorah and the lampstand, the pure beaten gold is Christ. The almonds represent new life. The oil is the Holy Spirit and His power that has made us complete in Christ, lacking nothing to do anything that we're commanded to do. And the wick is to burn brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ, shining as light in a darkened world. And can I say this? The most patriotic thing you can do today as an American is to let your light shine for Christ. That does more than the military could ever do. That does more than a booming economy could ever do. That does more than a government could ever do. Because you are the light of the world. Therefore, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify not you, but your Father, which is in heaven. And I conclude by this, O Lord... Let the light be turned on and let it shine brightly in this dark world who so desperately needs it. And all God's people said. Father, as we think about this, may you please help us. May you please help us. The light's not on the strip in Las Vegas. The light is not somewhere that is shiny and bright and attractive where we think they're having all the fun. Those lights are going out. Those lights are passing away. Those lights are temporary. But what Jesus gives us is perfect, it is sufficient, and it is eternal. And so, Lord, let those who have never trusted you see their darkness And come to the light of Jesus Christ through the word of God and the gospel. And let those of us who do know you shine in a dark world. Let us quit cursing the darkness. And let us be a light that glorifies Christ. And does a work in other people's hearts for their own salvation. And we pray this asking your forgiveness very humbly. And asking you to restore us that we might rejoice in you. And let our light shine bright. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.